Hi, I'm Gabriel Carrillo from the EdTech Bytes podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Steve here, and my podcast, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, is hosted on Podbean. If you use my affiliate link when you sign up for podcast hosting, you will get one month free. I've been on Podbean for the whole existence of my podcast since November of 2013. In that time frame, I've had nonstop service. I've had easy access to assistance when I needed help. I've been able to upload unlimited pictures and podcast episodes. The dashboard is easy to use. My Podbean community has grown tremendously. Looking at starting a podcast? Well, use my affiliate link to get one month free of hosting. Go to my website at stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors and click on the Podbean hosting link to see what plans are offered and choose the one that you like the best. You'll be glad you did. Boone Titanium Rings, found on the web at boonrings.com, is an affiliate partner of Teaching Learning Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and, and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Craig Randall, counselor, coach, teacher, principal, trainer, consultant, and author of the book, Trust-Based Observations, Maximizing Teaching and Learning Growth. Oh, what a cool conversation we had today. You're going to enjoy this. And by the way, a shout out to Locked On HUU for their awesome review of the podcast. Can't thank you enough. And if you want to leave an, uh, a review of the podcast, you can go into that platform that you're listening to me on and uh, rate and review that way. Or you can just go to my website, stephenmaletto.com, and uh, there's a place there where you can rate the podcast. Thanks for doing that. Enjoy. Hey, Steve here. And I want to ask you a question. Have you been feeling stressed, overwhelmed, exhausted, maybe stuck? Or how about you're emotionally eating, you can't sleep, you're mindlessly scrolling the internet or watching TV, you have racing thoughts and maybe even a foggy brain? If you're experiencing these, then self-care summer is for you. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to collaborate with Connect Flow Grow to bring you this exciting opportunity. The founder, Lynn Jimenez, is a therapist specializing in helping people reduce stress so they can live happier, more productive lives. This summer, she is bringing together her favorite self-care experts for self-care summer to help you learn how to keep stress low. In addition to starting or freshening up your self-care practices, Lynn will teach you what you need to know about stress, including what it is, how to identify how stress impacts you, and how to use coping skills effectively to actually stress less. So go to my website, stephenmaletto.com sponsors, and click on the Self-Care Summer with ConnectFlow Grow hosting link to join by July 12th through 15th to secure your spot. This event only happens once a year, and you're not going to want to miss it. Check it out. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. 
And now here's Steve with this week's show. Craig Randall has worked as an elementary and middle school counselor, including one intense year in the classroom with students with severe behavior issues. In addition, he has served as an academic advisor at the college level. He has worked as a collegiate basketball coach. He has worked as a teacher at the elementary, middle, and high school levels, as well as in college. And of course, Craig has worked in the job of his passion and calling, assistant principal and principal. Craig has done his work at schools both in the U.S. and overseas. Now as the author of the book and founder of the business with the same name, Trust-Based Observations, Craig's goal is to transform the world of teacher observation and evaluation. He is dedicated to training and consulting school leaders on the use of trust-based observations, empowering them to build supportive relationships with their teachers, relationships which foster risk-taking, which in turn dramatically improve teaching and learning. Craig received his bachelor's degree, yes, in English, from the University of Washington, his master's in education and guidance and counseling from St. Martin's University, and his principal certification from Western Washington University. Currently, Craig lives in the rainy but beautiful Pacific Northwest with the best educator he knows, his wife and new teacher mentor, Michelle, and their just graduated high school twins, Akalia and Craigo. Today, Craig and I will be focused on his book, Trust-Based Observations, Maximizing Teaching and Learning Growth. Hey, Craig, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to have the opportunity to chat with you. I'm glad you're here. And let's start by talking a little bit about you. Uh, You've taught at the elementary, middle, and high school levels. Now, that is so cool. All three levels, which is really awesome. Plus, you taught at college, too. What do you like most about working with kids? Yeah, really. I've taught from five-year-olds to 22-year-olds. So that's quite a gap. I I think, one, all young people, no matter what, it's just... They're, it's their process of learning and living and understanding and figuring things out and growing. So whether it's an elementary kid just figuring out how to do school at the beginning of that to a middle schooler trying to figure out life as I'm uh, becoming a hormonal wreck or a high schooler kid maybe uh, starting to learn some responsibility and maturity as they start to think about their future or a college kid thinking about really what they want to do with their lives. It's they're all They're all versions of the same thing. It's about process and figuring it out and the learning and and just watching kids go through that and all the different emotions and everything that goes into it it's all the same and different but it's all it's fascinating to be around it and fun to be a part of it and hopefully have a little influence here and there very cool very cool yes definitely that's what uh you know the the idea that you had some impact which is cool stuff Uh, let's start diving into your book because i gotta tell you i could have spent I mean, I, I could, we could be talking four hours from now. So I, I figured that you got more things to do than talk with me for the entire day. So with that being said, um, trust-based observations, maximizing teaching and learning growth. In your acknowledgement section, you say the following. The truth is that had I not come across Warren Aller, the director of my principal certification program, trust-based observations would never have materialized. Warren opened my eyes to a new and better way of conducting observations, one about reflection, care, and growth. Could you talk about what inspired you to write and publish a book on teacher evaluations? Yeah, it's a long road, I guess. I I think I remember before I started my principal certification program, even when I was teaching and had like principals that were really good and did the standard model, which we could really say is Danielson Marzano or some variant of those that it just felt like something was missing. It felt so infrequent and and it felt like you'd have a suggestion, but then we wouldn't see each other again for four or five months. And then who really remembers? And so they're not really getting, so something just felt, oh, I can't really describe it. It was just not there. And then after that, I had a two year period where I wasn't being observed at all, which 
is more common than we might think. And I remember talking to other people about it, people that were going through the certification and others, and people would mostly say, yeah, yeah, I hear you, but what do you do? That's the system. And, and I remember even as I started my program, principal certification program, I was doing it, but almost wondering why, because that part of it was so big to me, but so wrong. And I remember principal supervision class with Warren in the very first day in that class, he just said, you have to be in classes every day. You have to be supporting teachers, going in, observing them, uh, focusing on their strengths, reflecting on what they're doing and helping them grow. And I just, it was like this hallelujah light bulb moment that what I'm not sure I knew how to express, he just said, and I remember just saying, how long, how long? And after a while, I came into it's like an hour a day, these three 20 minute observations. And so we kept practicing doing it in our class. We'd bring in little 10 minute mini lessons and one of us would observe one of us. Then we do a reflective conversation and a reflective conversation on the reflective conversation and over and over. So I remember by the time I became an assistant principal the following year and a half later, I was so ready to do it. I felt so confident because I practiced so much and I was really lucky. I had a uh, principal who'd done a whole career in the U S and I was at an international school and he was at a point in his career. What really drove him most was having someone that was young and passionate. I'm not sure I was young, but I was passionate and I had this new idea and I told him what I wanted to do. And he said, let's do it. And he started doing it too. And immediately because if you think about a traditional observation, I go and observe, well, we have a pre-observation conference, which we don't do in trust-based observations. We talk about what you're going to do, and I'm going to observe you when you know. And even if I'm the best teacher in the world, human nature is I'm going to put an extra effort into that observation, so it's not necessarily super authentic. And then I observe you for the whole period, and then I rate you on all these different indicators, and then I have a conversation with you where I tell you what all your ratings were on that. If you're lucky, I tell you what I thought was good, and then I tell you a bunch of things you're supposed to get better at. So that's like, wow, overwhelming for teachers in basically a non-authentic teaching situation anyway. And in ours, these short ones, no, no pre-observation conference and immediately afterwards, we go into your conf into your room, not immediately, the next day, and it's completely flipped because we sit beside you and we're transparent so you can see what we're writing, and we ask you about your teaching. We ask you what you were doing to help students learn, and if you do it to add it to do over again, what, if anything, you might do differently. And almost immediately, I had teachers, no, I will say immediately, teachers say, Wow, no one's ever asked me about my teaching before. And these are teachers that have been teaching for 20 some years and some of them. And you could just see the gratitude on their face and in their expression. And the next thing we did was we shared strengths, what we observed, no ratings, just what we observed. And you would see teachers blush and like, wow, nobody's ever shared things that I did well before. Like, how sad is that, that that's the system that we have set up. And so this is the other thing. So instantly I knew those two things worked and I know this is a long answer, but it's, it's how we got there. And so I didn't get feedback for a couple of reasons. One, uh, I felt like even when I'm seeing you as much as we are in trust space, which is 12 times a week, that that's still 1% of the time. So what if I offer you a suggestion on something you're good at? And then what does that do in our relationship? Because you're like, I'm really good at that. You just didn't see it. And two, I was the new guy and maybe a little hesitant because I wanted to be liked. And so what ended up happening was we would just leave the observations at these two things, asking the questions and sharing strengths. 
By about the third time, I just had a flood of teachers say, okay, 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 but what can I get better at? And I didn't know this at the time, but really what that was, was I developed trust with them. And because I developed that, they were really anxious and eager and excited to talk about growth and areas of growth. And so that was the beginning of what it is. So, so the process develops and develops and developed over time. I know this story is still continuing, just bear with me. And so then uh, at the last international school I was at, the principal, the head of school there said, because the international schools you have usually an elementary, a middle and a high school all within like one school and then a head of school that manages that. I'd like you to teach the model to the other teachers. And so I was really excited that someone asked me to do that. And so we started meeting every week with these teachers and the elementary school principal said, hey, Craig, you got to protect this work. What are you talking about? He goes like, no, this is really good. You have to protect it. And that was the first time I thought about it maybe on a bigger scale, but we all, I think, want a greatest impact, greatest number of people. And so I thought, oh, I'll present at a conference or see if I can present. And I was accepted. And I did. And it was really like that to bring in 20 extra chairs when I presented. So it went really well. And I thought, oh, I'll write an article. And so I started to do some research and found some evidence that showed that some of the things I were doing actually were good practice that worked that I just discovered accidentally. And so they accepted my article. And then we ended up coming back to the U.S. and we had some money saved from my international school days. And so we thought, well, let's do it. And we wrote a book. Very cool. Very cool. And I've, I appreciate you explaining all that because it's, it's neat to see, to, to see and hear the, that, uh, you know, the evolution of it as it's uh, as it's progressing and such as you're learning different things you should be a- asking and and that and just just as a note i mean what a cool thing as you connect and make that trust happen there because i mean i think that's i mean wouldn't, wouldn't you say that's one of the problems is, is that a lot of times with evaluation the real problem is that it's more than evaluation you you have the potential of i mean of whether they continue to work there or not it's it's not just feedback about growth or not feedback <laughs> All of that factors into it. I mean, it's like every single thing we say and do factors into that. But yeah, I mean, especially my strong teachers. And I I actually have a story, if you don't mind my sharing, about how I almost blew it and lost a teacher. And it was my first year as a principal after I'd done two years as an assistant principal. And I had ideas, pretty concrete ideas about more progressive modern teaching. And I had a teacher who was an IB biology teacher. And they were in rows and I hate rows. I still hate rows, even though I know it can work for some people. And, and he was, he was, it was a lab biology class. So there were labs, but mostly it was lecturing and until they went and did their labs. And, and I remember being frustrated by this traditional model of teaching. And I'm a huge fan of Kagan cooperative learning and the value of the students learning and teaching each other through that process. And so I was going to start to talk to him about some suggestions but something told me to wait. And I'm so glad that whatever that was in the back of my head that told me to wait, I waited. And in the meantime, being new to the school, I started to look at the IB scores from the previous year and saw that year over year, he was over a point and a quarter above world average on this seven point scale. And so anybody that knows IB knows that's, that's elite. And so (laughs) then I thought, I think I need to take a different look at this guy. And so I take a look at him and I realize he has all these traits as a teacher that maybe I hadn't noticed before because I was so stuck on the lecture in the rows. His accountability bar was incredibly high, like no one could slide. And it was that relentlessness 
that's I care about you enough that I'm not going to happen. Every kid had every IB uh, standard benchmark. And every time they did one, he made them have a hard copy of it. And he'd say, pull it out, turn to this page, highlight this one and write the date. So then they knew they could refer back to their notes. And he had this really dry sense of humor that played really well. And all of that together and then realizing that it also was a lab class. So even though they were lecturing, there is some knowledge that still has to be conveyed that way. They were also really up and involved in that. And so then actually from going from a guy that almost blew it and just think if I'd done, told him to make these changes, he probably would have left the school and I would have lost this amazing teacher. I finally talked to him and said, I'd like you to do a PD session for our other teachers. And he's like, I'm a dinosaur. What do I have to offer? And I'm like, no, no, what you're doing is really great. And it took me six months to convince him to do it. And at the beginning of the next year he did, and he titled it Jurassic 101, which is priceless. <laughs> nice. And then at the end of it though, I had six younger teachers come up to either me or him and a faculty of about 45 and just say, thank you so much. This is the first time I feel like I have permission to raise the bar and hold my kids to a higher level. So just imagine if I'd done it the traditional way, I would have lost a great teacher. Most definitely. Most definitely. That's, you know, it's, it's, it's just crazy because there's just certain things that, uh, you know, when you look at that information and it shares with you those, because that's what you did. You took a look and found out, uh, Ooh, wait a second. There's something happening here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Crazy. Good stuff. Hey, I, you know, one of the things that, um, by the way, I'm moving from acknowledgments into introduction now. So we're going to move right along at this rate. You know, you may have, an, have to get another cup of coffee. So <laughs> um, in your introduction, you say this, and I love this because this is really cool what you say here. Um, Before moving into the forward into the book, I feel compelled to share that I'm a practitioner more than a researcher. Why'd you make sure you told them that? I think a few different reasons. Um, I think that, look, when some people read trust-based observations, they're immediately, I think, going to go, oh, yes, yes, this resonates with me. But I think some people, and and, and rightfully so, are, are more empirical. And so they're going to want research to back it up. And so for those people that want that, I, I, I just want to be transparent about saying, I didn't research what's the best way to do it. I just discovered it accidentally. But then luckily, I found research that backed it up and supported it along the way. So that's one reason I think was just to be out there and be transparent about that this wasn't a scientific uh, venture to discover it. But I think also because I'm a practitioner, I'm in the trenches, I've done it, I've lived it. And though I don't have any long-term longitudinal study because this just came out on it. I've seen anecdotally all these ways that teachers have made these incredible transformations to their practice. And I'm going to say in contrast to, and I don't mean this to be critical, but it's probably come across a little bit critical, is that sometimes when we're a researcher and we're not living it on a day-to-day basis, the expectations that we have when we say what ideal anything is, but teacher observation and evaluation for our talk, are sometimes not really manageable. To be, I'm working with a, a school district on, on a pilot for next year. And when we look at their model of all the things that they're saying a principal could do, or in some of the other models that we've talked about previously, just briefly mentioned, it's not possible that you can do all those things that are an ideal observation evaluation model and do any other part of your job, let alone maybe even do all that. And so just, I'm here, I'm one of you. And so I get it on a level that I'm you is I think why I put that in there. 
I love it because that's exactly how I felt. I mean, it's, you know, and first of all, I got to say this, your book is easy to read. It's easy. It's easy to understand. I don't need uh, um, three PhDs sitting next to me. No, no offense, PhDs. All right. But uh, I don't, I don't need it translated to me. (laughs) And, uh, um, and it's, and it, it, I just, I I think it's neat that you said that and, uh, and it makes sense. Your explanation, everything makes perfect sense. But I do want to say your book's easy to read, easy easy to understand and to implement the ideas. So kudos to you. you. Thank you. I I love the way that chapter one is titled and begins. The title is, (laughs) I love, I love this because the title is, so what's the problem? All right. And I say it like that in my brain when I, (laughs) so what's the problem? It, you know, it begins this way, um, you know, so what's the problem? The problem is that observations aren't working. Most teachers don't really like being observed. Most principals don't really enjoy doing observations. And most important, research evidence shows that observations are not improving teaching or student learning outcomes. Okay, we got to talk about this because I think you, yeah. I think this statement right there just hit the nail on, on the head, on the money, spot on, whatever you want to say. Boom. <laughs> yeah. So I think the first thing to say is that I think a lot of people realize this. I, I think most people realize this, that it, that it's not an enjoyable process, that it's not improving teaching and learning and that it's, it's not fun or effective. And so, but at the same time, we have rules and regulations. And if I stray from those rules or regulations for many of us, there'll be negative consequences for that. So I do what I have to do. And it's that we call it the proverbial hoop, hoop jump or the dog and pony show. How many times you hear people talk about observations is that, and this is a funny anecdote to me is when I was writing the book and I would talk to different teachers along the way that I would just bump into. This was such a common story that they would tell. They would say, yeah, my teacher observed me and they went over everything and they said it was great, but uh, next time, could you do such and such pedagogy so I can mark that off? And so we think about that and when what that means is that, so now I have to do inauthentic teaching to whatever I'm naturally going to do at that point in time so you can mark it off. That has nothing to do with teaching and learning. It's a hoop jump to both parties and they know it, yet that's the, the rule that we're stuck with in terms of, of playing that game. And so the so let's share that part and then let's move to the research. So, and really, if we talk about when this movement started, it started with a nation at risk in 1983. And then shortly thereafter, Madeline Hunter's work all of a sudden became the evaluation model. When Madeline Hunter later said, I never intended it to be that. And I've never seen a lesson that has all of those elements of good teaching in it in one lesson because it's not possible. So please stop. But they didn't. So that's when it started and this whole accountability movement started. But I will say the Gates Foundation uh, want to do it. They, they're doing great stuff. They want to make a difference. And so they understand the importance of feedback, as we all do. And so they thought, let's if we can develop a more robust evaluation process, that will lead to improved teaching and learning. And so the Measures of Effective Teaching, a seven-year study where the schools put in, I mean, the Gates Foundation put in over $200 million, And just recently, I found in the schools put in over $200 million, So it was over $400 million altogether. Seven years on this. And really, it was a glorified Danielson for the most part, this study. Uh, uh, and the thought was, if we can do this more effectively, we'll see improved teaching, improved learning outcomes, and improved graduation rates. So the final report came out when I was writing the book. I remember my wife emailing me that article, and it was 
this might sound bad, but it was so great to read this article because it said there was no sustained improvement, which I knew, and I feel bad that that's the way it is. But at the same time, it was like, yes, I know that. Here's another way that works better. And so the research is telling us it's not working yet. We're persisting in doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's like, what's the sign of insanity doing the same thing and expecting a different result, like pushing my against that brick wall. And, and that's what our system is. Hey, do you need help in becoming more effective at teaching virtual classes? Well, NVTA, the National Virtual Teaching Association, has a semester program that is college accredited and designed to help you become more successful as a virtual teacher. A few of the topics that will be focused on are establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources, among others. NVTA is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, and there's so much there to help you be successful in the virtual classroom. Uh, so take a look. Go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors. Find the NVTA logo and click on it to take you to their website. Happy learning. Pretty wild. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you got to love it when uh, um, people spend money and you're looking at them going, you do understand that this answer has been sought before, right? So what are you, yeah. you know, you want to, you want to say, what are you doing differently? That's going to yeah. come up with a different, <laughs> that's going to come up with a different answer. If you're pursuing the same thing, well, I think you're going to find out, Oh, look at that. You know, unless you, yeah. unless you make an adjustment, so you don't, you know, you're going to, you're going to find the same sort of comments. And, 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 you know, it's funny because, you know, you've been a principal. I mean, one of the things, you know, one of my, I'll, I'll never forget one time when I was shocked by, uh, Something that uh, I had never thought of. I had I was in a large school system, and uh, that had sixteen high schools, and and so from time to time, towards the end of a school year, you'd get one of your bosses would call you up and say, "Hey, Steve, uh, I've got a teacher that you need to take. Um, no discussion, <laughs> no anything. All right, and uh, don't argue with me, and no, you can't have you, know, you can't exchange this for somebody else. <laughs> yeah. You know, something like that, and so. And so not a problem. And I, I got this teacher and she came in and um, uh, we had an opening in, a, in, a, in the, this ninth grade basic math class. And she was wonderful at it. She came in and started. And we had a very, very tough <laughs> um, school that had lots of needs in this area. And, and she did awesome. Well, speed forward. So that whole year she was involved in all kinds of stuff we were doing in the ninth grade and accelerating kids and such. And, um, and teachers who I was working with who were struggling were assigned instructional coaches and things like this. And so I assumed that, you know, pretty much the people who are struggling knew who they were. And at the end of the year, when we were giving contracts out, um, she came to my office and she said, uh, can I see you? And I said, sure. And she goes, uh, it's the end of the year. And I said, I know. <laughs> she's, she's like, uh, am I going to get a contract? And I said, and this is right before, all right, this is right as all these intents and all that things are happening. And I said, uh, I said, why don't you think you're going to get a contract? And she said, uh, well, and then she started crying. Mm. And, you know, we go back to what you talked about before, and you talk about in the beginning of the book, at that other school where basically what that other administration had done was they had waited till the end of the year and decided that she wasn't good enough and so decided mm. tried to just get rid of her. <laughs> and the, the head honcho said, oh, no, no, it don't work that way. And that's how I got her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she was wonderful with us, but it was, it amazed me when I realized I have to start telling people when they're, yeah, you, you kind of thought that you thought that they knew that they were doing okay. Cause you, the feedback you were giving them and stuff like this. Yeah. And then I realized, nope, you got to be specific with some because of experiences they've yeah. had. 
Yeah, yeah. People bring baggage, and and you'll notice when we when you change over to the model that some people will be a little more nervous at first, and and reluctant and skeptical until they start to experience. Then and then it doesn't take too long to change, but it it does because you're scarred, and there's some trauma sometimes for people that have experienced this. I'll say well intended, but just ineffective traditional model. Very much so. Very much so. So you know what? So now we've gone this far. So what is a trust-based observation? Yeah, it's a system, really. And and I think, like, oftentimes we'll think, and you'll hear more and more people say, well, like, observe frequently (laughs) and things like that. Quite common uh, comment, yes. Yeah, yeah. And but what does that mean? And so I think, look, as human beings, we function better in routine just as a whole. And so we're providing a routine and a whole system so it, it outlines specifically what we do, but not without allowing you to still be yourself and your own personality and, and let you be the best you that you can while you're doing trust-based observations. And so it's a system of 12, 20-minute observations a week, four of them, three on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then 12 reflective conversations a week, three on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So that means on Mondays and Fridays, we only have three of each. And on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, those are busier and you have six of each. So you can kind of use that for planning purposes. They're 20 minutes. Usually the reflective conversations are in the same ballpark of 10 to 30 minutes, just depending on what happens in a day. So that's the basics of it. Um, It is... So we have a t- observation template. There's only nine areas of pedagogy on it. And we look at like Marzano or Danielson. We know sometimes there's 60 or some. And each one you wouldn't argue that, yeah, that's a good area of teaching. That's a good area of teaching. But we know you don't have to master all of those to be a good teacher. And research says anything beyond 10, we tend to lose the forest through the trees. And so we bear that in mind with an area at the bottom that anything else that doesn't fit into a category, you can still write about. And uh, we go in, pop into the back of the room with our laptop, and we just start noticing and doing what we do and and it includes a student interview because it's not just about the teaching because it's really more about the learning right is our teaching intent lining up with the learning the students the impact the students are actually having and so we do a little thing just to check on the learning target and whether the students can manage that just quietly in in the midst of our 20-minute observation and we go and do those and then we do our reflective conversations the next day and like i said it's all about building trust so we always say whether you're 7, 17, or 37, getting called to the principal's office feels like getting called to the principal's office. So we go to their space. It's your office. And so you're more comfortable in your office. And and we go and we ask permission. Hey, is now a good time? Honestly, I've never had a teacher say no because they want to know. And even then, hierarchically, my position is higher than yours. And we want to minimize that because we're aiming for collegial partnership dialogue. And so if I sit across from you, that magnifies it. So I sit beside you and I have my laptop with the observation form right there. And I start by asking you, what are those those two questions? And we try and reframe it in pedagogical language when it's not there. But we make sure that the teachers can see it. We repeat what we've written, especially if we've reframed it, just to make sure they're okay with it. We share strengths. And for at least the first three visits, that's all we do. And then you'll start to get teachers ask. And for others that maybe are more reluctant, you'll decide when is the best time to ask. Is it the, or, or to offer a suggestion? Is it the fourth time? And we say, really, if you feel somebody super resistant, wait up to a year because we're playing the long game. I mean, what's the big difference between what we're doing now and then? Because we haven't seen the impact then. So if my impact doesn't start till next year on growth in the grand scheme of things, and that's not many teachers, but some teachers you'll feel that. And so 
I'd say that's the core of it, but this is what I'd say is because the first three times we just focus on that, even if I bend the principle in there and I feel like I know you, we're still just going to say, yep, I'm not going to offer suggestions right now. I'm just taking a fresh look. And I would say the magnitude of what we're talking about isn't like going from a two to a three in a pedagogical area. It's about building capacity. And so sometimes it's adding something new to your practice often that like will have a big impact. And so teachers are much more willing to, to, to embrace risk-taking because they feel safe. And really on the observation form, there's an area that says risk-taking and innovative practice. And that's not something we're necessarily looking for because I won't always necessarily know if something is new, but it's there so I as an observer can send this message to a teacher until they know it to be true. That if I go into your classroom and I watch you doing something new and it bombs, it's a disaster, goes completely sideways, that you can with confidence know the next day you're going to receive a congratulatory fist bump the next day for taking risks. And my belief is when teachers know that to be true, they will persist in taking risks. And when people persist in taking risks, growth will follow. So that's the core of it. I will add, as we do observations, as much as we do, we really start to see who's particularly great at different areas of observation. And so we tap into that for professional development. And we have a connection with those nine areas of pedagogy and monthly professional development community meetings that are led by each of our teacher experts. And, and our goal setting, annual goal setting is tied to that as well. And then the other thing I'll say is when we offer suggestions, we're not just offering a suggestion. They are supported suggestions. So I'm coming in armed with whether one other thing on the observation form is it has toolbox possibilities. So that's different areas of pedagogy and it's a clickable resource form. So it points you to different like books you could work on or articles that could point you to how you could adopt a strategy pretty quickly. And so whether we're coming in prepared to show you one of those, whether I'm coming in and I've talked to another area expert in another area that's ready to work with you or whether it's sending you to a training, I'm not just offering a suggestion, it's supported and continuously supported training. And then also when I'm going and seeing 12 teachers a week, how long do I see you again? Depending on the size of my school, that's two to four weeks. So we're able to give you a feedback and continue support as you're tweaking and adjusting and working to grow. Because also research says if there's not support, like in a traditional manner, and it's this a huge amount of time between when I offer support and the next time, people will just revert back to their old habits. And we're not allowing that to happen, not in a negative way, but in a positive because we care and support way. So that's... And I will say, we don't rate pedagogy. So, and I know this is a huge one for a lot of people, but I think it's fair to evaluate your professionalism on my taking care of my duties, my planning and preparation, my collegiality and cooperation, because those are all things that are a huge part of teaching and frankly, any job just about. But the research shows by this guy named Matt O'Leary out of Great Britain, and he's the predominant researcher on teacher observation evaluation in the world, in my opinion. And I think a lot of other people's opinions, he found out that as soon as we start to uh, evaluatively rate or grade, and I know a lot of people say, well, it's not rating. We're just giving you, assigning you on a spectrum, but it doesn't matter. It feels that way. If it feels that way, it is that. The teachers start to play it safe. And the result is less risk-taking, less attempts at innovation, and less attempts at creative practice. And so that's the part that we take out. And because our whole system, especially with our annual goals, is designed to develop a growth mindset, we evaluate the growth mindset, but really with the system set up to make you proficient anyway.
I, I think it's so awesome. And I, I, I and I got to make sure that I, I say, because, you, you know, one of the things that's it's so right is that it's, uh, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, I think that it's just kind of built in there that you're going to be a little afraid of uh, of what's coming down the pike when, uh, you know, if, I, I guess the best way of saying this is that you know, one of the things I love about new teachers, brand new, brand new to the profession, period, is that they don't have that baggage of being afraid that uh, someone is going to tell them one thing and do another. And so they, you know, if you're talking about an evaluation as feedback, you know, and that feedback is coming there as something that they should use to help them grow, then most of them are going to take it that way, not be afraid until they talk to that colleague <laughs> who says, what did he say? What did he say? And, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you better uh, be careful there, you know, and uh, that type of thing. And then you know, suddenly they got a whole different mindset looking at it. And, you know, that it's just the idea of being able to have those conversations with somebody sitting around, I mean, you know, based upon, you know, asking them what they were trying to do and such, you know, because I've, I worked with somebody one time who, as a leader, they were always talking about soaring with the eagles, right? You know, there's those sayings yeah. about soaring with the eagles, and they're talking about soaring with the eagles. And the joke was from lots of people that uh, from the uh, from lots of the leaders in that uh, school system was that, yeah, it felt more like you're standing on the branch up there with a bunch of pigeons, and uh, there's somebody sawing the you know wily e. coyote or somebody is so, yeah. saw, sawing the branch that you're getting ready to fall off on. You know, and, uh, you know, so there's always this feeling that, uh, you know, what's, uh, you know, how much do I really trust this, this, this conversation here and, and how should I react? Can I to jump it? in on that? Yeah, sure, please. So uh, it, it's obviously been having a book come out during a, a pandemic when school's not in session is not ideal, but I was able to do a training with a school in Mississippi and look, like everybody talks and everybody gossips and probably a somewhat fair uh, appraisal would be the teachers are right at the top end of that. <laughs> Not in a negative, they care a lot and it's venting a lot of times. But so we're in Mississippi, rural Mississippi, doing this training. And it was fairly traditional teaching, absolutely. But so Monday and Tuesday, the principal and I are doing observations and reflective conversations. Starting on Wednesday morning, again, because teachers talk, the principal started getting inundated with emails saying, can you observe me? Can you observe me? Hmm. So you talk about like, they're like the tentativeness and the, Oh, I don't know what's going to be. And so just two days of teachers experiencing the dramatic difference that is trust-based from the other. And they're saying, I want it too. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. That's cool. Yes. Yeah, so one of the things I got to say is that you, you, you have this statement uh, where you say this, Realistically, it's hard to imagine that there will ever be a time when evaluation is not connected to the observation process. What do you think interferes the most with creating a positive evaluation program? Yeah, I mean, it's true because that's where you're in action. So that's how you have to find out. So I, I think that it's there. I think there's two things. One, the thing we talked about uh, with O'Leary and the rating of pedagogy. So rating... The pedagogy, that's my heart. Like that's all the time and effort I put into figuring out what's going to work. And so for you to come in and throw me a two or a one in an area that I put my heart into. And I don't know if you ever read Parker Palmer and the courage to teach, but mm, he yes. lays it out. The guy's amazing. Yes. And he lays it out so well when he talks about like this day, I went into it thinking, God, I'm the best. I've mastered teaching. And by the end of the day, I'm I'm thinking, 
this class wouldn't talk and this class wouldn't shut up. And like, how come I couldn't handle it better? And I went to bed that night thinking, I'm wondering at this age, if there's a different profession I could get into, maybe even something that I'd be good at. And it's like, that's teaching because we're dealing with the unpredictability of human minds. And so the best laid plans of the best teachers can go awry. And so to throw out ratings and just like, especially when I'm seeing you in a traditional model where it's as, as rare as it is and making judgments about whether you're worthy of being a great teacher or not or continuing, it's absurd. And so that is a big part of it. But another part of it is, and it started with the accountability movement and then No Child Left Behind, is legislative movements have mandated for many states, including my own, that you have to do some form of usually Marzano Danielson. We had University of Washington self ID model two and, uh, so that makes it really, really difficult to make a change from traditional models. But when it's legislated, how can I how can I make a positive evaluation program when it's this rated system? The one thing I'll say that I've been discovering though is that every state that I've talked to or somebody in a school in a state, either through their district uh, regulations or in the way this legislation is written itself, there is some wording in there for innovation or pilot projects. So that's the way that I think we can work around. And then as we start to get data that shows that this works better and we actually see improvement, then people will hopefully change that legislation. Most definitely. And you know, it's, uh, one of the things that I just, I love the fact that you've keyed in on this idea of risk-taking because yeah, it's it's so difficult to, because I mean, it's, it's one of those things that's said to a lot of people, you need to take risk, you need to do yeah. this, you need to do that. And depending on what their thoughts are about you and what you might say about them or what uh, their feelings are depends on what, uh, you know, whether they're actually going to even think that it's even really necessary. One, one of my favorite uh, parts about a program for evaluation that was implemented a few, a bunch of years back. Um, and uh, it's kind of evolved into something else. But in the beginning, when it was first implemented, I was in one of the schools where it was being test run. You know, we volunteered to see what it would be like and so forth so that then teachers could give feedback on it. And uh, one of the things that uh, it had a lot in there was the idea that, uh, um, you know, you when people talk about you know being innovative and so forth like this, it had all these the, these aspects in it where it basically was asking you in a pre, let's go back to something you said earlier about having a pre-conference. In yep. a pre-conference, estimate what you'll do and what's going to happen and have this conversation around that and uh, what you're trying to achieve and stuff like this. And yep. and one of the things they wanted them to do was predict you know like percentages of uh, you know what the impact's going to be, these percentages and such. And if you were smart, you you going to choose a very low <laughs> number. Right, right. <laughs> and, and so that was the game that they saw that was, you know, and actually you didn't have to do it to understand, you know, do any of you know something about human behavior here? I mean, you know, <laughs> unless I trust that you're not going to smack me off the cliff. I mean, you know, I'm yeah. going to put something small on there and there were all kinds of stuff like that in there. I, let's, uh, let's kind of shift gears here. And, you know, something that I, I like about your book is that it's a book of solutions. Uh, could you talk about where this idea came from and how you stayed focused on helping, not just harping on what is wrong? Um, I mean, it's just, everything was accidental. I mean, I, I got lucky and I came across Warren and practice observations. And I knew from that, that that had a, probably the 
as a principal, that was the number one way that I could impact growth, teaching growth and therefore student learning growth. And, and so I knew that and experienced that. And everything else really was just accidentally developing and tweaking over time and adjusting. And and uh, and my I didn't even think about it when I was writing it, but my, my wife said, you've created a system, a process and a system. And, and it really is that. And so, um, so that's really, it was all accidental and just <laughs> nice. circumstance that led to that. Really. I mean, I, I'd love to say that I was not purposeful with it, but I don't think that's true. Um, but staying focused on helping, not harping just what's working and what's wrong is it's really, how are we going to get the best out of people and how are we going to create, create conditions where, where people grow and, and, it's, it's when they trust and when they feel safe. And that's just, I mean, whether you read Brené Brown, whether you read the trust in schools book by Brick and Schneider, I mean, just, you can read Simon Sinek over and over and over. People keep saying the same things and people are only willing to take risks when they trust and when it's a safe environment. And gosh, we want our kids to take risks and fail and realize that it's okay to fail, like be the right brothers on their plane making however 700, 800 times until they got that to, to fly and realize it's process and it's system and it's persistence, right? Angela Duckworth, great, whatever you want to call it. And so if we want our kids to do that and we think about the feedback that we give to kids so that it's designed to do that and even then how hard it is for kids to take risks and then the hypocrisy of the way our system is designed to not do that and to be critically rating you, it's like we're, we're not modeling what we want our kids to do and so harping on what's wrong what does that do to improve anything and i think there's just teaching is so complicated it's craft and it's art and there's no even though there's all these amazing indicators in marzano and danielson and and maybe all of hattie's work and all these amazing indicators from hattie's work of what works it's still in the moment responding and we can be really effective I will say at a handful of things and be an amazing, amazing teacher. So why not focus on what's there and start what's there. And instead of thinking about what's wrong, I think if we think about what can we add to practice, then there's a much better chance that people are going to one adopt it, but also two, like what, what's the point? I mean, I'll say this now, if there's a student safety issue or anything like that, yeah, all cards are off the table and I have the right to do whatever I have to do to fix what's there immediately. So learning's going on if there's behavior management where the class isn't even functioning, but taking those rare instances aside, it's, so I say this over and over again, it's not rocket science. My Warren says it's uh, it's people science and it's just that simple. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's the, that that's it right on the money all right is is that it's people science it's not i mean because you know some of the the most creative teachers i've had that are risk takers who have the greatest impact also really stink and that's not the word i want to use at filling out paperwork and getting certain certain things done and you know and and it's like you know and it's like if you're rating them over the ability to do the form or like a a lesson plan versus what they're really doing, which some evaluation systems, you know, do that. And, you know, it's like, uh, or if you're rating them over the idea that uh, they had to have something in a certain time frame. I mean, it just, you know, some of the most magical moments I've ever seen happened because, you know, a kid asked a question that had nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was so, it was what they were thinking about what the discussion was on the topic, but 
it takes the it takes a little bit of going back another way in order to uh, to um, absolve the confusion or whatever. And no, and if you didn't do that, you'd miss out on an amazing opportunity because the book says no, we can't. We have to stay with the path that we're going. And I'll tell you, with trust based observations, so many collegial reflective conversations have detoured because teachers have felt safe and said, "Hey, you know, I started to think about this thing that we could do that would help the whole school." And it did, right? So right. if we had stuck to the same thing, well, no, the observation only says we should talk about this. It, we're missing opportunities for growth. It's not a straight line progression. That I mean, that's, oh my gosh. Um, it's, I, 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 you got me, my brain's going a million different directions right now. And it's like, and, and it's all just very supportive of this. I, um, let's, you know, one of the things that I wanna make sure that uh, um, I ask about is, is, is this. Could you could you share a little bit about the development of the form that you use for the observations? Because that's something really kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Warren, my mentor, he scripted. And so that's what I did for the first time. And, you know, you, you keep up as best as you can and a lot of dot, dot, dots and all that. And but early on, I remember somebody saying, but but what about like to find good areas of practice. And early on, I just said, well, look, I just know, which on some levels I feel like I do know, but there's validity in that question, but I just kept doing it. And uh, I ended up at a school where, I mean, so I guess coming up with a system like this, I'm, I'm a bit of a free thinker, thinker and not necessarily the best rule follower <laughs> in the world. And, and, and I have concrete ideas about where it works and doesn't work. And I'm, I'm uh, I'm not afraid to share those respectfully, politely, because I think I'm a really <laughs> kind person. But I, but I am, and so I had a school head who did not appreciate me and my style, and uh, at one point said, "There's no research that says scripting does anything to improve teaching and learning. So you either adopt Marzano or Danielson or create your own." And uh, I was reluctant because I thought, "What if by creating this?" I lose some of the things that I've had along the way and lose opportunities for growth, but I knew I didn't want to do the other two. So I just got together with my assistant principals and we started to work on and develop different areas. And so, but we knew 10 somewhere along the way, I'd read something about the research on the 10 and we started it and just kept morphing and morphing. And we added a table here and there because it made it a little easier to understand. And, and uh, like there's that learning principles period for those that haven't seen it yet, which is the old, it's been debunked in terms of uh, retention of learning where it said, if you lecture, you retain 5%. If it's reading, it's 10%. The percentages have been uh, debunked because nothing would ever be exact five and 10 right. <laughs> jumps in percentages. But I think overall we can say, that when teaching others is the highest form of retention and just lecturing is probably lower on the spectrum. And obviously learners learn differently. And so like we put that on there, and that's been an amazing visual for teachers to see where that falls or our questioning Bloom's taxonomy questioning on the levels of the question. And they just developed and the tables developed over time. And, and then, and then we started to think, wow, wouldn't it be great if we could make it a resource too. And so then we started adding that. So it just, Again, it was circumstance and accident. I like that. That's cool. <laughs> it's it's all right. That's good. You know, it's it. By the way, um, you you should have had somebody take a picture of your face when uh, he said that you had those choices, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're missing out. That would have been a great picture to have. They'd, you know, put it up someplace. I remember that day. That's. Uh, <laughs> oh, I do remember that day. <laughs> 
So, so I got to ask. I mean, what as you're, you know, trying to create your own. I mean, what what do you think is the biggest fear? What was what was your biggest fear of the of uh, what he was actually saying? I mean, does, does that make sense? Um, <laughs> I knew teachers felt safe, and I knew it built a. a, a a positive culture of collaboration and trust in the school. And I knew uh, it led to teachers being willing to take super bold risks to add new areas of practice. And like, and the transformations were just mind boggling. And I was just afraid that if I had to do that, and rate. And I think the one thing I was able to do was not, I didn't have to put the ratings in. We still had to do an end of the year evaluation. And I don't think even we had to put the ratings for those time categories. So it was just somehow related to the rating. And if I had to rate every single observation, I knew that would destroy it. And that was, that was my biggest fear. I got you. I mean, that's one of the things that it's, it's rough when, you know, the, you know, when you have a state that creates something along the lines of you're going to get a one, two, three, or a four. Yeah. One's not good and four's tops, but they tell you that not many people get a four. Come on. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. I get worked up. That's all right. That's all right. That's good. Cause that's where I was going with that. And that's like, and you're like, yeah, excuse me. I'm while I go slam my head against this wall over here. You know, it's like, <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I don't like the ratings period, but there are teachers that live in four all the time in different areas of their teaching. Almost everyone lives in four in some area of their teaching. Right. Yeah. Anyway, you got that right. So, uh, so let, let's talk a little bit about, you know, We've talked about the form. So can you talk about how a observation progresses? I mean, start from, you know, what does it, what does it look like from the beginning to the end? I mean, so it's a continuous cycle of observations. We're not just, we're not, it's funny because the uh, Kogan and Goldhammer, who were the guys that started the first maybe formalized process of the clinical supervision of model, which was the pre-observation observation in the late sixties, Back then, they talked about a continuous cycle of observations because you have to be able to support growth. And so it is a continuous cycle and it's organized. We've got a spreadsheet. So I know these are the teachers I'm seeing today. These are the teachers I saw yesterday. I'm tracking it. We're seeing it. We're marking whether it's B, M, or E for beginning, middle of end. And so it's, it's just continually working through. And it's like we talk about teaching being art and craft. I think observation is too. And so we've already detailed the process really in, in terms of what an observation looks like. And, and, and we're just, we're going through the form and it, we're scrolling back and forth as we're going through the form and we're sometimes looking at the areas of pedagogy to give me reminders on what I'm seeing. And it, when you're doing 12 a week, it doesn't take you too long to become pretty proficient at it because in a month I've done 48. Right. And so you, you're just doing it and see, I I'm looking for things, but I'm also allowing whatever strikes me to happen. And I also think whenever teachers say things that, that strike us, whenever you can use their words and not against them for them, right. Write down those words, write down what they said. And, and so we're just doing all that and trying to be as open as we can to whatever comes to us while we're looking at the same time, it's art and science. Right. And so then we just use that. To, and uh, I, I'm training a school right now uh, via zoom in Beijing and uh, we were doing a day where we were just practicing with each other over the weekend. And afterwards, as they were practicing, they were all being themselves and a little bit different. And they were like, well, should you be like, instead of saying noticing, should I be saying, I really like to do this and I really like to do that. And they were all a little bit different. And it was 
be you. I mean, be our most positive, kind, optimistic here to support you, you, but be you. And, and cause one teacher was like, maybe I shouldn't be one principal is saying, maybe I shouldn't do that. But no, that's you. That's, I can tell that's your personality. Let's let, teachers feel great when you notice things and share that. So, so that's part of it too, in a reflective conversation. And then really the process is just gauging with a teacher. When's the best time to offer a suggestion. And sometimes ideally we can ask an additional question that might get them to state the answer themselves first. Oftentimes they know, I mean, with those reflective conversations, what if anything might you do differently? It's sending a message that expectation is a part of practice. Really the whole form sends an expectation of what we view as good practice and not that it has to be limited to that. And so it's just determining what's the right time and way to offer a suggestion in a really, really supported way. And then just make sure I'm persistent in my effort to help, help you get better at it. That's oh, good stuff. I love it. I love it. And that's the persistence is good, good stuff there. That's what you're talking about. You know, it's, you've, what's funny is you made me think of all kinds of different things now with observations. You know, one of the things is like uh, when you walk into a room and you go, yeah, probably not a, not, not a good time to stay. And, uh, um, and then trying to do a follow-up with the person just to let them realize that you recognize that I just want you to know why I walked out, um, turned around and left. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's interesting just real quick because we, we do three observations a day and three reflective conversations. And obviously we have to prioritize getting in the ref three reflective conversations because there's less prep periods. But we always say, write down five teachers that I'm going to observe today, even if they're not the first three in my order, put the next two. Because sometimes something's going on. Sometimes it's a film that's going to be going for the next 20 minutes. That doesn't really help me. Or sometimes there's a, a quiz that's going to last or, or a, a somebody to sit down writing assignment. Or the kids. And so we have to be flexible in the same way with that, too. I had a teacher once who there's just something off. And I'm like, and she's always just on fire. And you're, and this time she literally was, I mean, I walked, I, I sat in there for a little bit and you're like, there's something wrong here. And, uh, afterwards I went to her and, and I said, are you feeling okay? And, and she says, you know, and she wasn't, uh, we ended up sending her home. She had like a 103 degree temperature or something like that, you know, just pre, yeah. pre COVID by the way. Um, but it's like, it's like, she, she still tried to go on with the lesson and all this stuff. I'm like, what did you, you know, there's some reasons not to, you know, um, gosh, that so describes our teachers and their heart for making a difference. Yeah. Cause they, they want to be, you know, they want to be there and they want to do, and that's, it's yeah. important. Uh, yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I want to, I want to get you to, as we're getting close to finishing up, I want to make sure yeah. that I ask you this, Craig, I, if you had a chance to talk to an audience of school superintendents about changing their teacher observation system, what would you want to make sure that they took away from your talk? That's a really good question. One, I would say, let's let's be frank and honest about the system that we have in place right now. And it's been really a, a, a an attempt at a left brain solution to a right brain problem with teachers that, why do we get into teaching? To make a difference in the lives of young people. Why are you a principal or a school leader? Hopefully for the same reason still. And so let's be clear about the process right now. It's not improving teaching and learning. Let's also realize that the observation process has the greatest potential of all to improve teaching and learning. And my wife just shared an ASCD article over the weekend, and it was the principal is the single, I know they say the other studies, but this study says the principal is the single biggest factor in the success of a school. And I'll say within that, 
the teacher observation evaluation process done properly has that chance to make that impact the greatest. And so with that understanding and with the understanding that what we're doing now, even though it's been well-intended, isn't working, then let's be willing to break out of the box. Let's be willing to break the current rules that say what it is. Let's find that that loophole in the legislation that, not a loophole, but that whatever's written in the legislation that allows me to pilot, that allows me to take a risk and try something new and different. Let's realize that it's about emotional intelligence. Let's realize it's about care. Let's realize it's about finding strengths. Let's realize it's about asking our teachers and connecting with them on a differentiated one-on-one level and building trust with them that will lead to them being willing to embrace risk-taking to grow practice. Because what happened is it's beat down a heck of a lot of teachers the way the system is going now. So let's be bold risk takers ourselves and make a change. Let's make trust base or something else that's like trust base the new way. So it can, if nothing else, it's going to create an amazing new transformation in the culture. I was lucky enough to have John Hattie endorse my book, which I still can't believe. And he just, he wrote that he felt like trust based observations is collective teacher efficacy in action. It develops that like, uh, let's do something different. Let's stop beating our head against the ball, doing the same thing that doesn't work. That was a long answer, but it's all true. It's all right. That's good. You're right. All on the money. And, uh, and that is cool that he, uh, he uh, gave you that uh, endorsement there. Awesome stuff. So kudos on that. Craig, before we close, if someone wanted to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? Yeah. So uh, different areas. Uh, My Twitter handle is at trust space. Craig. I use LinkedIn a lot as well. Uh, At trust base. Craig is there too. Um, Obviously you can get the book via Amazon. And uh, my website is trustbase.com. You can email me uh, there at Craig at trustbase.com or just on the website itself. And to that, I want to share one uh, one little thing. One of the things with trust-based observations that I wanted to make sure I always did was provide an opportunity for a school with a higher free and reduced lunch population to have a free training every year. So if you work at a school or know someone that school that's 50% or higher free and reduced, you can go to the philanthropy section of the website and apply uh, to win a free week-long trust-based observation training for your school too. Very cool. And I'll make, that is so cool. I, I mean, I'll make sure that I have all that uh, linked in the show notes and I'll make sure that I, I point that uh, uh, area out as well in the philanthropy uh, section. Very good. Um, well, well, Craig, I got two last questions for you and they go like this. The first one is, how do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Hmm. You know, I've talked about luck a lot and I don't know how or why, but I think I've always chosen to do something in my life that I was passionate about that, that drove me. I mean, even the detour into college coaching was like, I was really passionate about that and it didn't hold the same uh, fulfillment for me over the long haul, but it did for a while. And so I think that I've been able to choose that along the way. And then even now that like, like it's hard for me to see that for the rest of my life, this won't drive me because my mission is to change the world of teacher observation. And so I think it's, it's some luck, but choosing to follow what, what fulfills you is what keeps you going. I love that. That's cool. And I think a lot of times what, you know, the part that's missing there is that they're not following that they've actually followed some other path that probably is not the path they want to stay on. So 
That's cool. I mean, sometimes circumstances make that harder too. I, I, I realize that for sure. Yeah, but good stuff. Uh, thank you. Uh, last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Yeah. Um, I, I would say when I was K-12, I didn't have that teacher that was like that, but it was Warren when I started my teacher observation program and we've become good friends and we see each other regularly and we talk shop regularly. And so I, I tell him regularly the same thing that you read in the book that none of this would have happened without you. And I'm just so thankful. And I, I still, I just like, I feel so fortunate that I came across, I feel in a way that it was better than I had that person happen to me when I was 40, because now we're friends and now I still can go to him and like talk to him about like, well, what do you think about like a study? And he's like, this is what I think we ought to do. And so it's like, I still have that sounding board and, and he knows and I tell him regularly because I'm constantly thankful. That is so cool. So cool. Well, uh, Craig, thanks so much for talking with me today. Your book, Trust-Based Observations, Maximizing Teaching and Learning Growth, is a powerful book. It's awesome. I mean, all educators should read it. And, uh, you know, keep up that good fight. Wishing you the very best in all you do. Steve, thanks so much for the opportunity. I am truly grateful. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.